I thought you said you were tired. I am. I'm the tiredest man in the world. You all know how many hours I've been awake? 87 hours. Almost four days and nights. And you can't go to sleep, is that it? <laughs> no, doctor, not can't. I mustn't. I mustn't go to sleep because if I do, I'll never wake up. Come on, we're going to go for a joyride. just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome back to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And I'm Kevin. And I hope you guys are ready for this one. Uh, this one is a whole boatload of crazy. This this episode. Uh, that's all I got to like. I mean, that's that's selling it short. Like, I feel like there's a lot of crazy things that go on in this episode. Yeah, I'm a fan. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was curious what your reaction was going to be. Yeah, it's uh just to put it up front. It's kind of a sloppy episode as far as the writing goes. Um, but visually, I'm a big fan of this episode. Yeah. So, um, again, thanks to Algoro of Rhythm Without Talk. Rhythm Without Talk. Talk, <laughs> talk without, without rhythm. rhythm. Jesus Christ. Talk Without Rhythm podcast helping us last time with uh, Time Enough at Last. That was, yeah. that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Go check out his show. He just finished up that uh, satanic month of June. And uh, there's some really, really good stuff going on. And I apologize that I cannot say words with, with rhythm or without rhythm on that one. So my, my apologies. Uh, he would appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's just get right to it. This episode's called Perchance to Dream. And I I would recommend that if you've not seen this episode yet, please stop this and watch it. Because I feel like this is one that you kind of got to see a lot of it to really enjoy what's going on with it. Again, Kevin's right. The, the script on this one's a little a little weird. But the second half of it, just the, the wheels fall off visually, and it's like, it's really cool. So if you've not watched it, I would recommend just watching it and then, then coming back to this. Yeah, and I don't mean any disrespect to uh, Charles Beaumont, who wrote this episode. Uh, so a good segue in here, because the story is fantastic. I actually just listened to it, uh, the audiobook on Audible, before we started the episode. And it's a really wonderfully written short story. And he's a great writer. Um uh, this was his first stab at a Twilight Zone screenplay, so I think something in the translation between the short story and the episode may have gotten lost. He had to rush through some stuff. He really didn't get all the eloquencies uh, that you can get in the short story. In the yeah, episode. that's fair, and I feel like the whole crux of what's going on, and we'll get to this in a second, I don't know how well that holds up, but I feel like everything else around it is kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll just get right to it. Uh, air date, November 27th, 1959. Uh, number one film, Ben-Hur. So we're now past Pillow Talk. We're into Ben-Hur, which wins, wins all the awards that year. Number one song. Want to guess what it is? Is it Back to Mac the Knife? Yeah, it's Back to Mac the Knife. Uh. Yeah. Uh, so we're we're back in back in knife country for a little bit. Uh, That's all right. Yeah. Uh, you know, I listened to the uh, song last week. I forget what it was already. 
I was not a fan of that. So but I'll the, take the, it. Was the Fleetwoods? I think whatever. It was. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. I've heard covers of that song that are way more popular than that version of it. Yeah, so. I don't like that version of that song. No, <laughs> I was uh, I was kind of disappointed when I checked it out. Um, so Mac the Knife at least. Well, that's pretty good. clearly the audience didn't like it either, so they went back to Mac the Knife. They're like, ah, no, we're done with this. What, yeah. what was that other song? <laughs> yeah, from a week ago. <laughs> so interesting fact from November twenty seventh, nineteen fifty nine, uh, Nazi war criminal Joseph Mengele. Uh, AKA the angel of death. Uh, he was granted citizenship uh, by Paraguay, by the, the dictator of Paraguay, because there was no extradition in that country. So this is the day that he was allowed to be there. So he skated free of all the, the terrible things that he did. Wasn't uh, somebody that was in boys from Brazil, just in an episode of you. Yeah. So that was a <laughs> weird tie in that, that kind of comes in later. It's like, Oh, we talked about an actor in a movie that happened in the late seventies. Yeah. That ties into this yeah. kind of stuff just happening. So inception weird. Right. So <laughs> that was the only thing I could find that I thought was interesting. And it's like, it's interesting in a sad way because clearly this guy did not yeah, you know, answer for his crimes though. He did drown in a pool somewhere in 79. So I don't know if that's the same thing. Probably nah, not. He's probably yeah. on Coke and <laughs> <laughs> he probably went out on, top as far as his mind yeah no kidding concerned. right um so yeah that's... don't quote me on that i don't know <laughs> no. <laughs> i have no idea what uh joseph, joseph Mengele Mengele went out on top you heard it here first <laughs> can we uh go back <laughs> yeah right no uh so so yeah you're you're right this like let's just get the cast and crew uh uh written by charles beaumont uh, first, the series that we've seen at Twilight Zone, not written by Rod Serling specifically. Yeah, and like I said, the first written by Charles Beaumont, who went on to do 21 other episodes of the Twilight Zone. So he's going to be somebody we're going to be getting real familiar with uh, as we go through the series. Uh, this episode was directed by Robert Flory, who did two other episodes of Twilight Zone, and I wasn't familiar with really anything other than some TV work that he did. Well, I I dug further into his his whole thing. Like he came over to the states from France, like when he was like like early like twenties, right? Mm-hmm. He was an assistant to, and I'm not going to say this name right, uh, Louis uh, Feluade, who w- worked with um, around the same time as uh, uh, the Rocket to the Moon. Um, what's his name? The 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 famous Millet, the the director that did the silent film. Oh yeah, yeah. This was like that time of like the French silent film era where they had the very fantastic imagery and like high production value for the time. So he was assisted to that guy during their big revolution in silent filmmaking and, and really trippy imagery. So you kind of see as I, wow, I just hit things. I'm so excited here. Yeah. Um, we, we should say we're in a different studio. Than yeah, and, usual, I, I just, so. I, and this, and this, it's a regular size studio, but I just feel like I'm just like, just, I can't control my hands. But, uh, <laughs> um, so he has a background and then like the, the, um, cause with silent films, I mean, you had to really have, the imagery in front of you to sell what was going on as opposed to having yeah like dialogue right so like he learned a lot of probably what he did visually from that time of of, of being around a lot of that so i thought that was interesting yeah now that you say it this episode in the in the second half of it really does pull a lot from that kind of surreal yeah uh surrealist like silent film like uh Do- uh, cabinet of dr caligari or something almost yeah and then also that that director the 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 lewis uh gentleman he is one of those directors that hitchcock and um what was it uh yeah it looks like hitchcock was actually influenced by him so yeah. you see a lot of hitchcock in this too before mm-hmm. hitchcock if that makes sense yeah so uh i thought that was kind of interesting um, uh, this director, Robert Flory, directed the Marx Brothers and the Coconuts. So I thought oh, that was, wow. he did uh, some uh, mainstream comedy and also Murders in the Rue Morgue. 
Oh, I didn't even see that on there. Yeah, which I know That's you great. have referenced, I think, on your other show. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, on I'm Radio Violenta. really excited to get into this cast here. Yes. Yeah. Uh, this one guy. Man, all right. So <laughs> that's well, a good segue right into it. Unless you got more about just, Robert I just want to mention. Um, uh, we talked about Charles Beaumont here to begin with, but uh, the the short story you had mentioned first appeared in Playboy, nineteen fifty eight. So yeah, I, I saw found that. that. And just if you're curious, you can find that issue on eBay for twenty six dollars ninety nine cents. So if you want to buy that issue of Playboy, wow, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, there used to be some good stuff in Playboy. Like I was, I was doing some research on like authors that wrote for Playboy. Um, back in like the sixties and seventies, whenever, and uh, man, there was some good stuff in there. <laughs> like, yeah. could you imagine reading the short story? And well, Stephen King had a lot of stuff published in, in yeah, Playboy as well. Like, it's it's awesome. And also, I, I found out too that that he was he influenced Dean Koontz, which mm-hmm. by kind of a weird sort of way around, uh, the Dean Koontz anthology book called Strange Highways is where I pulled this name from for the show. So it's kind of a weird thing to kind of come back yeah. to. And he also wrote the screenplay for uh, the Corman film Mask of the Red Death. I I did see that. Yeah. I, so I know you're a big Corman fan. Yeah, I meant to write that down. Um, so that yeah, and, good stuff. Uh, yeah. Other than the fact that Beaumont only lived to like 34 because he had people they couldn't peg what happened to him. But people think it's like a version of like Alzheimer's and something else that kind of um, hit him. At I once. think I saw sp- a spinal meningitis something like that um, yeah yeah it was some like unknown brain deterioration like something real awful and it got to him and it just took him out and unfortunately some of the later stuff that he's credited with was ghost written by friends because they saw commitments and they were trying to help him yeah so sad way to go but he wrote a lot of twilight zone yeah um so the cast we got richard conte who plays uh edward hall the main character now, I was digging through this guy's filmography. This made me excited. So, he was in The Godfather. <laughs> yes. Great movie. But he also, later in his career, went over to Italy and was in a bunch of Polizia films, also known as Eurocrime. Also known as Kevin's favorite movies of all time. Yes. <laughs> so, like, I didn't necessarily recognize him from it, but every single one that he was in, I've seen before. And... uh he was in the violent professionals. He was in the boss with Henry Silva, which is one of my Henry Silva, excuse me. Um, which is one of my favorite Polizias of all time. Um, he was in shoot first, die later. Also a Fernando Delia movie. I mean, that's really how you want to be though. You want to shoot first. And yeah. Die later. That, that title. If you do it the other way up. around, that doesn't make sense. Um, and then most importantly, he was in, uh, Roma Violenta, which is where we got it's it. There's a whole series of movies with Violenta in the title that we got Radio Violenta from. Well, there, so. look at that. We have we have determined where we got the names for our shows at. That, yeah, that's a <laughs> really bizarre. Like, thank you, perchance to dream. You're, you're we owe you a lot. Yeah. So I was going through this guy's filmography. I'm like, man, he's in like some of my favorite movies. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And then we got this was his only Twilight Zone episode. And then we got John Larch, who played Doctor Elliot Rathman who is in two other Twilight Zone episodes. And then most notably, he played the priest in Amityville Horror and he was in Dirty Harry. And I also have listed here, he was in Airplane 2, which oh. is the, that's our connection to the lonely. Yeah. So I thought that you was know, funny. There's an Airplane 2 connection amongst all this. Man, I'm sure there's going to be more too. <laughs> yeah. And then I looked up Suzanne Lloyd, who uh, played uh, Miss Thomas slash Maya. We'll get to her in a second. Uh, she's still around and she did a lot of TV Westerns. Yeah, really I, I didn't really know anything, but That's she was it. very beautiful. <laughs> she pops on screen. I was like, Woo! like very early. It looks like like uh, Elizabeth Taylor circa like Cleopatra. Yeah, like she, yeah. Like, it may have like, been the makeup too. It surprised like, me but. that like she had a look. And it's like and she wasn't she wasn't bad in this episode. Mm-mm. She was given a lot of crazy things to say, but she wasn't bad. <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, like, I mean, that's cast and crew. Um, also, real quick, I have my notes here that the director, he was known for a lot of uh, cynical tones, Dutch angles, and dramatic lighting. Which, by the way, that all shows up in this episode. Oh, so yeah, there we're going to get to that. And he was actually called, uh, unquote, unquote, widely acclaimed as the best director working in major studio B films. And I think that's important to mention because this movie, not this movie, this t- this episode feels very much like, it does feel like a B movie, like in, in a good way. Yeah. Because it gets to be very crazy and kind of fun. And the imagery is very just off kilter. And yeah, so I mean, it's, it, 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 to me, it feels like, you had a writer that comes from a weird background and he has some weird ideas and you have Rod Serling, who's kind of the mastermind. Then you have this director. It's a, it's a good mixing of everybody. I wonder about the final product, but it's like, you have a lot of good ingredients for this. Yeah. You know, so. And it, it definitely wasn't a bad episode. So. No, 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 no. This was, this was no, uh, uh, Mr. Trenton on, on uh, doomsday. This was none yeah. of that, you know, yeah. but uh, it was still, which still isn't the worst thing ever. <laughs> like if that's your low point, it's not that bad, <laughs> but, um, yeah. Yeah, so I think that's a good time. We can uh, jump into the episode. 12 o'clock noon. An ordinary scene, an ordinary city. Lunchtime for thousands of ordinary people. To most of them, this hour will be a rest, a pleasant break in the day's routine. To most, but not all. To Edward Hall, time is an enemy. And the hour to come is a matter of life and death. And that's it. Yeah. I, feel, I feel like Sterling's like, well, I didn't really write this, so I'm just going to talk about people eating lunch and, I, and time's an enemy. I like his outro on this episode a lot better than the intro. Uh, I yeah. will say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's just like, ah, you're on your own, man. <laughs> I got to go smoke a cigarette. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm fiending right now. I got to go. Um, so, so this one actually, it, it's very interesting how, even though this was not written by Serling, it, it has a very time element feel to start. To yeah. Him. And in the sense of like a guy just showing up to a psychologist he does not know previously and, and kind of like, you know, a hurry. And he's just like, you don't believe me, doctor. You don't believe me. You know, so it's very, very interesting that I'm surprised that he didn't write this. Yeah. Um. So you want to do a quick synopsis of the episode? Yeah, he you comes in. Yeah, he just the, the gentleman, he comes in. He first, he seemed anxious. And I thought it was more of like a like a agoraphobia type of thing where him outside of the of this building, which had a wonderful shot tracking downward of the building and then showing this revolving door. Yeah. And you got a real good sense of like the hecticness of people coming in and out. And he's just like disheveled. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was going to be the same thing of him kind of like, uh, stuck in his day to day rut and, uh, just kind of being overwhelmed by everything. But, uh, Soon enough, you find out when he goes and visits the psychiatrist that he's been awake for, what does he say? Four days. Yeah, um, yeah. Let's see here. It was, it was four days, which I have some information about. Yeah. The, the, about the that episode later. was four days. In the short story, it's three days. So in the time that I watched this episode and read the story, <laughs> I'm like, was it three or four days? Yeah. And he's basically telling the psychiatrist, like, listen, you know, I've been awake this long. I have a heart condition and an uh, overactive imagination. imagination. Yeah. yeah. And if if I fall asleep, then I'll die. And, he, and then the doctor's like, well, what do you mean by that? And he has to go through this whole big thing about explaining where his imagination came from. And now he has this idea in his head that something's coming for him. And then as he sleeps, he dreams in sequence, which is a really peculiar thing to bring up with this episode. Because he's just like, it feels like a movie serial. Like when I sleep, when I, I'll just pick right up where it left off. And, I, yeah. you know, like, and that's it. And he has a feeling that the end's coming soon. Yeah. Um, which is not how the twilight zone works. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, it's pretty much that he just tells kind of like, which I felt was a weird pacing thing of him coming in and then kind of telling the story of him driving a car 
And well, he actually lays the groundwork for him being a kid and how he had an overactive imagination. And then he's driving a car one night, like to and from work. Yeah. And he gets like freaked out. Yeah. And he talks about there's a painting in the uh, doctor's office of a sailboat. And uh, first he talks about how his mother told him that if he stares at a he had a similar painting. His mother said, if you stare at the boat for a really long time, you can make it move. Yeah. So he said he stared at it for like an entire day or something. And uh, it finally ended up moving and uh, he lost control. Oh, John Cena's here. Uh, <laughs> I don't know where that's come from. Uh, <laughs> man, that threw me off. That's not me, is it? There's no. no I expected John Cena show. No, up. my ringtone is John Cena. So <laughs> I'm going to have to find Talk that. Talk about a Twilight Zone <laughs> twist. No one expects John Cena. Um, yeah, so. <laughs> that's a weird. I had a dream Ooh. of John Cena showed up and then, you know. That threw me off. Um, <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah, so, the sailboats long enough, John Cena will show up. Yeah, so he told him that he kind of lost control of his imagination, Passant, and he couldn't stop what it was doing. And I, I love he makes a point to say, like, how powerful the mind is. Like, if you think you're, like, your arm hurts, and if you think about it hard enough, like, does your arm not actually hurt? You know, like, yeah. it hurts the same as if it was actually injured. And the doctor kind of just shakes his head, which the doctor in this episode, his performance was cracking me up. Yeah. He was just so matter of fact and just kind of like, I love his voice though. His voice is very just like reassuring. Just like, yeah, that could happen. Maybe. I don't know. Like it felt like he was playing with him the whole time. Well, when you find out what's going on and I know you watched this just once. Yeah. I went back and watched the second time to get more like audio and and images. Mm -hmm. It's like after knowing what I know, what happened, it's interesting to see where the pieces kind of fall. Yeah. It's like in his reaction, it's like once you realize like, Oh, wait a second. Well, he's agreeing with everything, I guess, just because he's a, uh, spoiler, a figment of Well, because, yeah, so the whole thing mind. is, yeah, like, the dream that's going to kill him actually does. I guess that's the big spoiler there, is, like, he, the moment he lays down on the couch, that's when the episode actually goes from reality to the Twilight Zone. Yeah, which... And you don't know that. Well, uh, they signify it with a lighting change. Yes. Because immediately, I was like, he fell asleep. Like, yeah. <laughs> And, uh, I mean, I think that was something, didn't they use a lighting change to, uh, um, signify a dream or something in an earlier episode? I think time element. Yeah. Think, time yeah, element. Yeah. yeah. That was the one. Yeah. As soon as he went to sleep, they did the same thing. So, um, well, the other thing too, like, like, and I'll, I'll back up a little bit now that we were kind of already given yeah, up no, the ghost. <laughs> well, no, that we've given up the ghost about what's going on in this episode where the whole idea is that. Basically, this guy has an established heart condition. He has an overactive imagination. He believes that whatever is pursuing him in his dreams is going to get to him and kill him or cause him enough excitement that his heart's going to collapse, right? Yeah. So if in the very beginning of the episode, he walks into the office. The secretary is like, you know, um, doctor, or no, we'll see you now or whatever it is she says. You don't see her face. That's what I was going to ask. That, w- that would have been something on rewatch I would have looked for because... Uh... Yeah, I couldn't remember if we saw her when he walked in or not. Actually, what she says I've written down is, we have been expecting you, Mr. Hall. Oh, which okay. is, we'll get back to that in a second. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, then he sees like he sees her and he goes in and talks to him. And he's telling him about this whole thing about how he was driving his car. And he thought someone was going to be behind, like, the back seat was going to kill him. And how he hasn't really slept since then. But, well, he actually slept and was dreaming of, a, of going to a carnival. Um, which, uh, that's like, so in my notes here I have... Uh, 
at 11.56 in this episode is when it turns batshit crazy, is what I said, because that's the moment he starts talking about <laughs> his dreams that he has and going to this carnival, which, you know, clearly the way they shot this was all in black and white, which made it way scarier to me than in color. And it was the creepiest clowns, the creepiest everything going on. It was just... Well, and you can tell it was all shot on a soundstage, so, like... All of the uh, almost like borders of all the shots are all just black and fuzzy. Yes, and then you have like overlit, <laughs> like really strongly lit uh, foreground with like the clowns and the ticket and the boots and everything. Yeah. So everything feels really surreal. Yeah, like it feels like a dream, which it, they totally nailed that. Yeah, absolutely. So he's going to this carnival and he's playing a game, and then he hears a Barker talking about these girls. Like it's almost like it's almost like a burlesque type of thing which that's the only dialogue I really have from this episode because it's like, it's a really weird thing to say about a Barker advertising his women. <laughs> so I have that. I, I just got to play this real quick. My friends, you say you want fat ones? We got them. You say you want thin ones? We've got them. Blondes, brunettes, redheads. And believe me, folks, if they ain't up here, they ain't worth looking at. And Cheech Marin was inspired by that to give a similar speech and from dusk till dawn, <laughs> which, uh, El Goro uses on his intro. So there you go. Perfect. <laughs> that right? line. So, um, it was a really weird thing to say Then he has, he's advertising these women that gets the attention of our, of our, of our main character. And then it introduces Maya, who is like this vixen who does this really weird dance to this, like really cool jazz drums, by the way, it was a really cool jazz drum beat. Yeah. Very like odd shooting, yeah, and, it, both me and my girlfriend watching it, like, I noticed she was drumming along, too, on her thighs as we were watching. We both <laughs> sat there, like, drumming along with it. <laughs> yeah, um, that dance was pretty risque for the time, wasn't it? it? Was, Man, right? I was, like, I was feeling some weird feelings during that. <laughs> I, I had I had a note here, love the drums during the Maya dance, the dance not so much. Because it was, like, she was just coming up with stuff on the fly. It's, like, this is what I would do in a striptease, where it's, like, well, my arms are out. It's a, it's a different time. Yeah. It's a different time. <laughs> like... <laughs> And that's what I, I There's noticed. There's no pole up there. Okay. <laughs> where she looked a lot like Elizabeth Taylor. Like, mm-hmm. it was, like, this gorgeous, like, that, you know, forbidden fruit type of thing, you know, and, and she's trying to um, entice him. Yeah. And I love his reaction to the dance is just to just to run away. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the most ridiculous run, too. <laughs> he just, like, turns, like, hair flying back, just runs. Yeah. Uh, so then he he's talking about how he's, like, waking up and then between this and then... Um, I, at some point they go, like he falls asleep again. And then the next dream, she calls him into a haunted house. I think that's what happens next. Yeah. Right? They go into the fun house, the um, fun house. I'm sorry. And she's like, ah, it's really dark in there. We should go in there together. Yeah. There was that quote in there that I kept trying to get for whatever reason, my computer wasn't liking it where it was like, it's dark and damp and cold. I'm like, what is she saying? I don't know. It was a really weird double entendre. I didn't know what was going on. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. very strange. Yeah. And, and someone for a heart condition, he smoked a lot of cigarettes, by the way. I kept yeah. seeing him like firing up cigarettes, taking, I, I'm guessing, speed of some sort well, to stay awake. Um, it was a really Did weird... you get an official cigarette count? I did get an official cigarette count. I have, um, technically, there's only two in the episode. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because okay. he, it, all, he it looks like he almost fires up one in the office, but he's just popping pills. Ah, okay. Which, you know, the doctor asked him how long he's been taking it, and he's like, well, basically he's he's um, weighing his options of, like, yeah, I can take these pills that could kill me. Yeah. Or I could fall asleep and it could kill me. So it's like, it was a weird, just a weird, like, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah. So I, I want to talk about the uh, visuals when they go into the fun house. Yes. Because, man, like, this is a dream I wish I had. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <so, laughs> uh, 
fun story. We're going to Cedar Point, a local amusement park that we have here in Ohio, on uh, Sunday this weekend coming up. And uh, I was like, I hope my weekend is as good as his dreams. I mean, yeah, right. making out in a creepy fun house, going on a roller coaster with some, you know, playing, playing a weird like, target shoot game where there's not really a target but a spinning yeah. vertigo symbol. I don't know what's going on there. It was weird. Yeah, and then just like, like weird clowns hanging up and weird clown heads floating around. Like it was really. If my weekend is half as good as this dream was. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I put in the notes here too. As like, I loved also, it, I forgot to mention, um, one of the people, um, the cast and crew, uh, music, I, I had this written down was by Nathan Van Cleve. He pioneered the use of theremin and television scores. Oh, wow. And that becomes a, something that you identify with like sci-fi and horror. Yeah. And there's theremin in this all over the place and it fits so well and it gives you that dreamlike feeling. And you hear that during all of this and it's so so weird and yeah it, it fits really really well so i like that um i also like the fact that uh, i put a note here uh the things do uh, for crazy girls that smile at them because it's what it felt like he's like i can't go with her yeah oh she's smiling at me here's money for tickets like that, <laughs> that was the whole thing i'm like all right dude you you know you, you know you're gonna die yeah but, but she's pretty hot yeah <laughs> <laughs> so she she talks him into a roller coaster eventually right and, and then basically she keeps saying, you know, like, you know, like keep your eyes open and all this other stuff. Like, you know, she's willing him to, to experience this. That's going to shock him into dying basically. Right. And that's his big fear. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess that's the end of her for the time being. Yeah. Cause after that, he, uh, he comes back and he's still in the doctor's office and everything after telling the stories about the dreams and uh, he's like, I'm going to leave. You can't help me and everything. So he goes out into the back into the lobby, I guess. And the receptionist is there. And it is Maya, the cat lady from. The yeah, dream. the same actress. And she and then she looks at him and he yeah. looks at her again. And then he automatically rushes and just jumps out the window because that's what you do. Because, you know, time needs to wrap up. The, the episode's almost over. You got to throw yourself to your death. Yeah. And then, then the twist happens of you realize that he's been on this couch the entire time. He fell asleep the moment he lied on this like this couch, and he died right then. So the actual he died instantaneously, but his brain was kind of one of those things where you talk about how dreams are perception and how long those actually take. Yeah, and uh, Serling speaks of that in his uh, closing statement where he says uh, dreams can take place within a second, but you can live a whole lifetime within that time. You know, yeah. like he, he, I forget what the exact quote was of his closing narration. Um, but he speaks of that. So, uh, yeah, the twist, I mean, like I said, you can see it coming. If it, like, you know he fell asleep on that couch. Like, yeah, it wasn't really even a twist. I mean, it was. And maybe it's just the keen eye and being used to that kind of stuff, like the lighting changes. We've seen these endings before of, like, oh, this person's been dead the entire time. Like, yeah, so it, it's something like I saw the lighting change and immediately I was like, oh, I fell asleep. You know, so you can see the ending coming from a mile away now. But at the time, which we got to remove ourselves, put our back, put ourselves back in the time of watching it in 1959, and uh, you wouldn't have seen that coming. Yeah, I mean, I'll give it that. It still feels like unless you were really in the time element when that (laughs) played. (laughs) (laughs) So I feel like like the story is pretty much straightforward, right? Like the whole like, hey, I have this overactive imagination. I think I'm imagining someone's going to kill me, so it's going to happen, which. I have problems with that. It's like, if you know you already have imagination problems, can't you just imagine a solution to that? Like, it just seems like... 
Well, it's very like the issue is it's happening in his dreams. He's lost control of the imagination because if he's awake and imagining, he can control where they go. When you have a dream, you're at the mercy of your dreams. You can't really fair. But don't you think that like he's old enough to where this has probably happened to him before? Like his, yeah, but he's getting older. His heart's getting weaker too. On all the cigarettes and speed, probably. Aren't yeah. Funny <laughs> um, yeah. So I feel like this episode really comes down to uh, wants and desires and repressed feelings. This is yeah. what it feels like that he was told that he can't have much shock, much excitement in his life. So then he starts dreaming of excitement and desire. Yeah, and I feel like there's some sort of repressed sexuality going on too, which yeah. isn't fully fleshed out in the episode. But the whole thing of him running away from that burlesque dance and it just it kind of being scared of. Uh, well, then it's very much like a Pinocchio and the Lost Boys type thing, yeah. too, right? It kind of yeah. like they're going to run off to the circus, you know, type of thing. Um, but I, yeah, it, just with her. And I mean, her dance is very sexual in nature. And when uh, they go to the fun house, there's the cold and damp. <laughs> let's go inside and make out yeah. thing. And every time he's frightened and running away, I feel like there's something going on there. And neither the story or the episode really hits on it too well. Maybe if I knew some more work of Charles Beaumont, I could see where that was coming from. Well, we're going to find out soon, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh. um, I got a very Fred Armisen vibe from him at times. I don't know if you did. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, they don't look exactly like, not at all, but the, just the way he the kind of cured he, himself. Yeah. And so it's just like, is this a black and white episode of Portlandia? I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> I, was, I thought that was kind of odd. Um, but he, for for a fantastic concept, I think he did well. Yeah. And he, he got the idea across quite well. Yeah, I mean, it just, some of the stuff between the dreams and the real world um, was just either like a weak connection. Like I said, of him falling asleep, it was just like, we can tell he fell asleep. Like, you know, it's all going to happen from there on. Um, and then it, it just some of the stuff that happens in the dream, like you're talking about the dream killing him and everything. Some of that doesn't play out as well as I think it could have. Yeah. And that's where I mean the story is not the strongest, but visually this episode is saved. I mean, it looks phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, like I will, I'll give it complete credit for how crazy it gets in the second half. Yeah, um, just because you're right, the imagery is, is is amazing, and I want to put up uh, screenshots of some of the stuff that I found during yeah. the episode. It's, put it's it up. really memorable. Yeah. Like I know I haven't seen this before because I would have remembered that stuff. And I was I was reading some people's memories on this episode, and it seems like a lot of people. This was one when people are in their childhood were really scarred by. It feels like <laughs> a young Rob Zombie watched that. I was like, you know what? I could do that with hypercolors. Like yeah. I feel like you know, yeah, that's like what that is. But I mean, it's just something like I mean, you love carnivals and amusement parks when you're a kid. You know, you see that. Imagine being like ten years old in the fifties and seeing this episode. Like, man, that, that would mess you up. <laughs> That, that and then the whole like um, assumed identity thing feels very like vertigo, yeah. Like, and which is like well before this, which is weird that I keep referencing Hitchcock before a lot of his stuff, right? Because it feels very yeah, especially with the Dutch angles and the way everything felt weird in the carnival and everything. It just it, it felt very like it's not very Hitchcock at all, but it had a vibe like that the entire yeah. time. It's like the perfect mix of like the. Uh, uh, German expressionist, uh, yeah, silent film, and Hitchcock kind of blended together like perfectly. That's why I just wish the script was a little tighter. That's Me really, too. Like, Me that's, too. And I know we all, we often kind of go off on tangents about how you'd rewrite this. I don't really have a good rewrite for this. No, I, I have I have no I have no notes for the screenplay. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, even though but, I have a problem with the main conceit being that he acknowledges that his own imagination is trying to kill him, that feels very. Um, 
that feels very high concept. And I don't know how, if I could buy that in this sense, like yeah. he, there's a quote in here. He had, he's like, I want to live. That's my problem. It's like, well, then you have a very conflicted issue here, you know? And, and the fact that it's like, you're kind of driven to your wits end because of something that you're imagining. And it's kind of hinted at when he's driving the car that you see a flash of uh, Maya's eyes in the mirror, like well before he goes to the carnival. Yeah. He's like, you get this idea of like, well, maybe, maybe there's something else going on here. But they don't really don't really give you any other context to that. Yeah. You know, so I don't know. Like it was like I recommend this episode just for the lunacy of it and the imagery. I love the 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 front projection of them in the uh, roller coaster car. Yeah. Like because, you, you know, it's just them in a roller coaster car and they're just blowing wind into their hair. And, and the they driving have footage. scene, too. Yeah. And they have just have footage of this roller coaster running. And it's like you can totally tell that it's not like really in the shot, but it, it works. And because not only is it fake, but it's like it's a dream. How do you expect it to look? Yeah. And I bought it like it was really solid. Like the, the lady who played Maya, you could tell she had fun with being like this agent of chaos. Yeah, I love and, she's got such a great laugh. Yes. Um, in the last dream of him going up in the roller coaster where she's telling him to jump off and everything. Um, she does this laugh and it's, it's a really chilling laugh. She really yeah. goes for it. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, uh, it's compelling and it, it like, so, um, I'm, it's interesting cause I'm, I'm glad I've, I've not seen this episode before cause I can kind of yeah. experience fresh and it's such and credit to the twilight zone so far because we've had really large tonal shifts that I was just about to yeah. say that I was going to add on to recommending this episode because it is unlike any of the other episodes we've covered so far. And, uh, yeah, a lot of credit just for the uh, variety of subject matter that they've covered thus far. I mean, there's some similar themes, and we're going to see a lot of those elements recur. But, like, visually and them- not thematically, um, like, story-wise, uh, they're and, all over yeah, the place. And, and credit for Sterling to be like, you know, this one's this is a bit of a reach, but I like it. Yeah. Because you know, I'm, I'm sure he had final say of what, what showed up and what didn't. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure he picked you know. his favorite writers at the time, too, to come on and help him. Yeah, so, so I, I thought that was interesting. So some quick quick additional information. Uh, he said that he was awake for four four days, right? So I started doing some research on sleep deprivation. Yeah. And so um, though it's disputed but not confirmed, the one confirmed is um, this guy named Randy Gardner. In 1964, as a high school student, stayed awake for 264.4 hours, which is 11 days, 24 minutes, yeah. right? Why? <laughs> I, just because he could and the whole thing is like they they measured like his mental ability like you know ability to to, to think straight and yeah. they said that he was pretty pretty good still like and the whole thing was based because he beat somebody in a game of uh, pinball like towards the end it's like that's kind of luck too i don't you know but um so then there's also someone that said that they have an australian national sleep research project that states the record for sleep deprivation is 18 days 21 hours and 40 minutes which i stayed up th- like when i was in college we did a um a 48 hour music marathon thing. So three DJs would stay up for like two days straight. And I was one of those DJs and I made through the first day pretty good. Yeah. And then the second day things got weird. No, like, like, no, I, I I can barely stay up a whole night. I mean, we have that 12 hours of terror here in Cleveland (laughs) where it's just an overnight movie marathon and they lock you in the theater and stuff and not lock you, but you can't, there's no reentry. And I mean, by the time it gets to like six in the morning, I'm just like, I, need to sleep <laughs> it's just like pumping myself full of caffeine and it's just like yeah. things get weird it's staying up for 22 hours for me <laughs> like, yeah, so the 12 so. hours of terror was rough when i did the 12 hours of terrible oh god i've never been so angry at he-man in my entire life because it was the last movie of the night it was right after the happening 
And I was Jesus. just like, can we be done now? Can we? Yeah. I was like, Dolph Lundgren, could you just find the key? It's a stupid <laughs> keyboard key. Can we just get out of here now? And I was so angry, but I'm like, I'm going to stick it through. So you're right. Like there's like, I have a hard time staying up 24 hours anymore, let alone longer than that. But things do get weird. Perception does change, but like days, like I know people that, that suffer from insomnia. Yeah. And that's like, that's a different beast altogether. But yeah, man. I feel like I'm not on my game when I don't get six hours of sleep, let alone, you know, no sleep. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that 18 days is not a record I want to break. No, <laughs> like I'll be, I'll be happy to go to bed tonight. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm already looking forward to it. I love sleeping. I do too. Yeah. Uh, to quote Mitch Hedberg, I don't want to dream. I just want to have a dream of myself seeing myself sleep in a bed. No, so, I, I do know people that uh, consider sleeping a waste of time. Well, good, good on them. Yeah. You know, like, I, I, it sounds like they're really busy and they have a lot of stuff going on. That's well, great. I one, feel like I'm busy too, but I like sleeping. One of my friends in high school that actually went off, he's working uh, in Hollywood and stuff. Um, man, it, he just didn't sleep. Like he'd sleep like three hours a night and he was like, I'm fine. Like well, he was just good on that. It, and I mean, I haven't talked to him since high school. High school is different. <laughs> you can survive on less sleep, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk to him 15 years later and see how he's doing, <laughs> you know, with no sleep. Yeah. So I just, I mean, the idea that like sleep deprivation can affect your health. I mean, I think that's been pretty much established, you know, like it can, it could really mess with your heart. It can mess with your brain. Yeah. And so the idea that someone's been awake so long that a shock can kill them that I believe. And people have went on, like they've asked, they asked Wes Craven. It's like, did this episode influence you for Nightmare on Elm Street? Yeah. And he was like, I never saw this episode. Wow. Until later, you know? So it was like, you know, but the similarities are really there, you know? Yeah. So, it was, it was one of those things I thought of while I was watching it. I was like, huh, can't go to sleep or you're going to die. Like Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> yeah. Right. So <laughs> that's, that's crazy. I wonder if that's one of those things he just doesn't want to admit. Kind of like Tarantino, uh, not admitting to seeing City on Fire um well, no. after <laughs> reservoir dogs came out and it's just like he <laughs> where it's like he says everything that's referenced to him but the movie that's just like reservoir dogs he hasn't seen yeah it's just like i, I think at one point he said he didn't see it before and now he just can't let it go <laughs> I, I feel like it's one of those things that i have a feeling that it might have been you know as a kid you don't remember half the stuff you see yeah so it could be that too it, it could be that you saw that and something was planted in your head and then that so, comes yeah it's an idea that i could see a, someone having without seeing this episode it's i a, mean it's a very lovecraftian idea too yeah of like, exactly of something that's creeping and just waiting for you while you sleep so, yeah so it seems yeah. like something that i mean i guess i'd believe that he hadn't seen it um but it is very oddly specific isn't it it is <laughs> <laughs> especially with the taking the drugs and staying awake and then and being very aware of what's going on and telling people like if i sleep i'll die and unfortunately yeah. we'll never know the, the truth the sweaters people wore no, that didn't happen um so anyway um yeah i mean all right, so let's just get to the twist here. Yep. I'm giving this episode a one just because it didn't feel that oh. twisty, but I'm giving, like, but I'll raise the imagery and everything else to a three, if that makes sense. Like, the twist of, like, the craziness, but, like, the straight ahead, like, oh, this is all my mind, and then my mind killed me. It didn't feel very, very, like, like, oh, my goodness, I'm surprised by that. I was surprised by everything else, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I was going to give it a three just because I really like the episode, like you're saying about the imagery and everything. And I was, I was going to give it a two, um, but it just, it just cause I was looking back, trying to put myself in the mindset of watching this back then. And, uh, I, I feel like it would have been something that I would have never called the ending to this back then. Like now we're so used to it that 
it, it's just something that's kind of like permeated itself in our. That's fair. It's just, you know, it, so it's it's the twists you can see it coming a mile away now, but back then I feel like we couldn't. Um, so I was gonna give it a two, but I really do like this episode. Um, like I said, the script isn't the strongest, but it definitely has a real feel of its own compared to a lot of the other episodes. So I'm going to give it a three as well. Well, you've admitted with a lot of things that you enjoy that it isn't necessarily the strength of the script why you enjoy the things that you enjoy, though. Yeah, I so. mean, it, the reason I love Italian stuff is because the imagery is so, like, out of control. Yeah. You know, you watch this stuff and it's just like... It's just this mind-blowing imagery, and then the screenplay, it's just garbage. <laughs> like, you know, it's just a bunch of stuff thrown at the wall, and you're like, yeah, that works, that's fine. You know, and I can get past it. I mean, I love a good screenplay and everything, but, uh, yeah, imagery is where my it, my heart lies. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not saying that's a detriment. I'm just, like, making an conversation about the things that I know you've enjoyed, and yeah, you, you yeah, said, no. like, you know, it's a goofy movie, but I love it because of this. Yeah. Like, and, th- and I think that's fair. Um, and I think that's where this kind of goes where, yeah, just um, so much great atmosphere in this. Yeah. So 22 minutes, get through the first five, six, and then you get to some, uh, you get to some really creepy, uh, carnival imagery. So that's all I can really say about that. So, yeah, I think that about does it. Yeah. So, so um, you said only two cigarettes, only two surprisingly. Yeah. yeah it's because like when he pulls out, whenever he's watching her dance, cause it's like, he's going through like a spastic, like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's an attractive woman dancing. So I, I need a cigarette to calm my dream heart, you know, like whatever, you know, so <laughs> calm something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got to Just like, I got to put this in my mouth. I don't know what that means. <laughs> whatever, you know? So a lot of context, right? <laughs> yeah. There's, there's something sexual. Going uh, on. Very much. So we don't know, <laughs> um, which is weird because actually the writer, he wrote a story and I, I didn't put this in my notes, but I remember reading about it about like there's a future take about people that were heterosexual and they were outcast. Oh, okay. Yeah, I saw something. That's why it kind of struck me why I said if I read more of this guy's work, maybe we'd have an understanding of where yeah. uh, this like scared of sexuality thing comes and, and from. And he's written about like sexual politics in the context of science fiction after this too. And so. I I don't know what his sexual orientation was either. I'd be interested to see. That, Not yeah. that it matters, but just uh, kind of like out of curiosity to see where his mind was yeah it, where his mind was when he was writing this stuff you know and and this is a way to kind of get some of this across without like really pushing barriers you know? yeah so yeah exactly so, yeah, th- that was interesting so um yeah i think we'll wrap it up for this uh so so how do how do people get a hold of us yeah uh you can find us on facebook strange highways uh paul's doing a great job posting imagery and fun stuff from all the episodes i, I enjoy doing that i it just I don't, it tickles me just to put like an image like <laughs> like what was it last week i had the one of burgess meredith sitting on the couch yeah and i was like i hope you guys have a good weekend yeah i was i was hoping you're gonna pull that image and, and there's so much good stuff from this episode so i can't wait to see what you do yeah um yeah and there's some people on there uh sharing some twilight zone stuff so appreciate that and you can check us out on itunes and stitcher leave us reviews on both of those the and i know we have two itunes reviews so thank yeah you so thank you guys that. um i wish i had the names of the people who did but <laughs> thank you um and please, if you guys have not, it would be of a great help if you would go give us five star reviews. Yeah, I mean, and if even earn, if we earn it, like it would be. <laughs> no, just rate us whatever you think. I don't care. It's fine. Give us one star if you hate it. Yeah. Um, but be honest. Uh, if you really enjoy the show, share it on Facebook, share it on Twitter. Just let people know you're listening. It would uh, mean the world to us. We're having a blast. We want other people to go back and really appreciate the show. Cause yeah, absolutely, it's, it, it's such an important part of a lot of people's lives, and it really is one of the best things that's ever been on television. And the so. more we dig into it, the more we realize how connected it is to everything else. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. We wouldn't have a lot of the stuff we love, especially being into like cult cinema and everything. 
um, without Twilight Zone. Yeah. There wouldn't be a lot of that. So, yeah, if you're enjoying the show, just please share, let people know, and uh, yeah. Yeah, so uh, next <laughs> episode is... Uh, um, I should mention, yeah. email us, too, yes. at uh, strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com. Um, write us feedback about any of the episodes we've covered. Let us know what you think about the show, anything you want to say. Just let us know. That would, yeah, that would be wonderful. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, next episode's Judgment Night, which uh, that is not the movie from the late 90s, early 2000s. It is just its own episode. <laughs> with the badass soundtrack as we've uh, talked about earlier. So I don't know what this one is. Like, I don't know what this episode is actually. So um, it looks like somebody who is possibly in a dream that wakes up on a U-boat. That's about to be blown up. Oh, do you think he like, he's at a carnival and he wakes up on a U-boat? <laughs> it's the same guy. <laughs> <laughs> he jumps off the roller coaster into a up. U-boat. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, Jeez. it's like shit. Like, you did. and there's a hot woman on the boat. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. So don't quote me on that. Um, I read the quick synopsis. <laughs> before we started the episode but it has to do with being blown up on a u-boat so <laughs> yeah so that sounds interesting so yeah um yeah till next time i guess i uh, have a safe weekend uh, it is fourth of july weekend as we, we record this so please uh yeah don't do anything crazy um don't blow your hands off because then you won't be able to press buttons for podcasts you know that's yeah. very, that's really my thing <laughs> not the whole like about your family being worried i'm just more like you can't listen to us if you can't press those buttons yeah so well like i said i'm heading up to cedar point so uh <laughs> wish me luck i hope i don't uh, jump off a roller coaster <laughs> i mean if i fall asleep i can't promise that i can't control it